0: Solidarność. The party. To be a PZPR member was a route to possible power and privilege. Party members at work received better bonuses and jobs, access to bigger apartments and better education for their children. Party members occupied the two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand nomenclatura posts a list of the network of key administrative and other state positions filled at the direction of the party. This was the core of the Polish ruling class. If family members were included, the Polish elite was probably about one and a half million strong out of a population of 35 million. Despite purges and resignations following the crises in 1958-59, 1968 and again in 1971 the party had grown from 1.368 million after unification with the purged socialists in 1949 to 3.079 million in 1979. The party members were 11.9% of the adult population. 46,000 were des- 46% were designated workers, 27% were women. Quote, "Various estimates suggest that in January of 1981, between 1.4 and 1.7 million of the party's 3 million members were also members of Solidarność. At the party's congress in July 1981, it was reported that 20% of the delegates were also Solidarność members." End quote. Solidarność did, however, have a rule that stated no office holder in Solidarność could either hold office in the Communist Party or be an official of the state, councillor, magistrate, etc. Solidarność was to be independent of the state. An opinion poll conducted for a parry match in late 1980 found that only 3% of the population would vote for the communists in a free election. Trust in the party had evaporated, quote, A poll conducted by the Centre for Public Opinion Research showed the Catholic Church, Solidarność and the army, in that order, as the most trusted institutions in Poland. At the very bottom of the list, in 15th place, was the Polish United Workers' Party. A similar poll conducted later among Solidarność members in the Mazowské region showed a similar ranking, Solidarność had the confidence of 95% of the respondents, the church 93%, the army 68%. The party, again at the bottom of a list of 14 institutions, was trusted by only 7% of the respondents. Membership of the PZPR by D. Mason. In such conditions, the party lost authority, members and self-confidence. In December 1980, at the Central Committee's plenum, delegates estimated that up to 30% of members had stopped paying dues. An opposition had emerged, centred on party members in the university town of Turun, south of Gdansk, seeking to link party members horizontally and to radically democratise the party. Zbigniew Ivanov a 32-year-old engineer at the Tovey-Moore Marine Engineering Plant, a striker and party member, had been elected party secretary at his factory. Ivanov set up a horizontal coordination, the consultative commission of party secretaries from the surrounding area. In November, Ivanov was expelled from the party for factionalism. However, he carried on regardless backed by a vote of confidence from his members. On the fifteenth of april nineteen eighty one, seven hundred and fifty delegates, claiming to represent one million party members, met in Turun to plan for the democratization of the party in the run up to the forthcoming party congress. The Congress finally met in july nineteen eighty one and the reformers were defeated. Timothy Garton explains the failure of the party reform movement as being rooted in the lack of support in the country for reforming the party. There was no mass drive to do so. Worker members were reluctant to take up the struggle in the party. That, that is true, no doubt. But the higher echelons of the party were also the centres of political organisation for the bureaucratic ruling class, and they were not willing to give up so easily. On the conservative edge of the PZPR, other forces began to organize. A group called the Grunewald Patriotic Union launched itself in March 1981 with a ceremony commemorating, quote, victims of Zionist terror, end quote. On 15th of May, pro-Soviet conservatives in the party, who called themselves the Katowice Forum, published an attack on Kanya warning of, quote, Trotskyite Zionism, nationalism, clericalism and anti-Sovietism, end quote, and the possibility of a, quote, liberal takeover, end quote, at the next party congress. Solidarność. March 1981. 170 kilometers south of Gdańsk is the town of Bydgoszcz. Vygost is at the centre of an agricultural area and was known for the production of cycles and mopeds. Following the registration of Solidarność, organisations of independent farmers have been pressing for the registration of Vyedzka Solidarność rural solidarity. The local farmer activists were involved in an occupation backed by Solidarnoš in support of registration. Following a long meeting with local councillors on 19th of March, about 45 activists were attacked and beaten by the militia and secret police. Singled out was Jan Rulevsky, a well-known militant on Solidarność's National Commission and a technician in his early 30s. Rulevsky was systematically assaulted and hospitalised with concussion alongside another Solidarność leader, Mariusz Leventowicz. A 69 year old peasant leader was also seriously injured. Ekfowenza arrived in Bygoszcz at 1 am. Later he announced, We shall respond resolutely but calmly. Someone's claws are getting too long, but we shall trim them. Not all the authorities are pigs. We wish to trust some of them. The last comment was interpreted as supportive of General General Wojciech Werezelski who had been named as Prime Minister on 11th of February. Solidarność assumed that this incident, the latest in a series of provocations, was led by Polish hardliners backed by the Soviet leadership. Earlier that day, a massive Warsaw Pact operation, Sawyers 81, had begun on Polish territory. There was now a majority on the Polish Politburo for a di- declaration of martial law apparently only avoided by the threat of Jaruzelski's re- resignation. Both the government and Solidarność had emphasised the need for dialogue. Quote, pole talking to pole, end quote, and the Biedgoszcz incident was understood by everyone to be a break with that norm. Despite Solidarność's national leadership asking workers for restraint, two-hour warning strikes shut down Gosch, Turun and other local towns. Posters of the beaten men lying on the ground, splattered with blood, went up across the country. The 42-member National Commission, KKP, assembled in Bigosch Railway Workers' Social Club on Monday 23rd of March to decide on Solidarność's response. On Fuwensa's proposal and against more militant suggestions for an immediate general strike, a four-hour nationwide strike was called for Friday 27th of March. If no agreement with the government was reached, a general strike would be called for Tuesday the 31st of March. During the two days of debate, Fuenza walked out, implicitly threatening to resign if he did not get his way. If talks with the government on 25th of March proved fruitless, The four-hour strike would start on Friday. A set of demands included punishment of those responsible for the Biedgoszcz incident, recognition of Vyacheska Solidarność, abolition of a government diktat giving only half pay to strikers, ending of all open cases against oppositionists arrested between 1976 and 1980. The government warned Solidarność that without compromise we shall plunge into chaos and may end in fraternal violence. For safety, the eleven-man national strike committee set up in the Lenin Yard, Gdansk, and the regional MKS strike committees were each based in large factories in their areas. Factories were policed by workers' defence guards wearing white and red armbands posters across the country declared quote, "we will not be smashed in the face." End quote. At 8 a.m. on Friday 27th of March the cranes stopped in Gdansk a massive banner opposing the police attack in Biegosz hung from the gates of the Huta Warszawa steel plant in Silesia the church bells rang and the pits stopped work On television, the screen was filled with a graphic which read, The strike is on. Solidarność strike. The bulletin issued by the URSA Strike Committee declared, We are striking so that we might never again be beaten, jailed or slandered, so that the police will pursue criminals, not trade unionists. Solidarność exempted crucial services and hospital workers, for example, wore red and white armbands to show their support for the strike. Fuenza spoke at Warsaw factories, declaring his trust in General Jaruzelski, this is a uniform we can trust, end quote, and reiterating that the strike was not a challenge to the state or the party's leading role. At noon, the factory sirens sounded the strike's end, and the Polish working class went back to work. The strike had been a vast and magnificent display of the workers' power. Solidarność had 9.5 million members paying dues at 1% of their wages, from a total of 12.5 million eligible state workers. By this time, Solidarność had 40,000 staff seconded from their workplaces. The four-hour strike was carried out with enormous discipline. Between 12 and 14 million workers took part. Over 1 million PZPR members defied instructions from their party and struck. Six hours after the strike ended, the government started negotiations with the union. In the ornate Council of Ministers Palace in Warsaw, the government finally admitted that the Bydgoszcz workers had been beaten in custody by police in civilian clothes. Andrzej Gwiazda insisted, quote, Now we want the names. End quote. Talks continued on Friday, and the two sides agreed to reconvene on Monday. The party's 140-strong Central Committee met on Sunday the 29th of March against the background of continuing Soviet bloc military exercises on Polish soil. Many work members spoke up against the violence and the hardliner Stefan Stefan Olszewski threatened to resign after receiving much criticism. A metal factory foreman from southern Kielce declared... Quote We have to say it openly. Many P people holding top party posts want to keep them without active commitment at the expense of the working class, and they will use force. Yanina Kosjevska, a foreman in a computer factory in Wrocław, said her local party organization participated in the strike, quote, even though we were aware we were violating party discipline. We read the events in Bigosch as a clear violation of constitutional freedoms. End quote. She blamed the party's top leaders for the strike, not the workers who struck The central committee lasted eighteen hours, finally ending at four a m It had not directly come to conclusion about the next strike due in two days' time. For Wentz's close advisers and his link to the church hierarchy, Professor Kukulovich, pressed him to compromise and call the strike off. They said a general strike meant civil war. Meanwhile, many factories were being turned into fortresses. Food was brought in, along with sleeping bags. At some pot plants, petrol and chemicals were lined up to be used in self-defence. The young workers in the largest enterprises were the most determined. The activists were in a state of nervous determination and everyone knew how serious the situation was. When Griajda arrived for the final negotiations, he did not sound hopeful. Nevertheless, a deal was struck. Fawenza had prevented other members of Solidarność's National Commission going to Warsaw and joining the negotiations. On Sunday evening, he had telephoned Bogdan Lis and Zbigniews Bujak and insisted they stay in Gdansk to prepare the strike, leaving negotiations in his hands. The discussions were mainly carried out by Fawenza and a small group of his advisers, sidelining other Solidarność leaders. Behind closed doors, the state threatened the union with using great violence. At 7.30pm on Monday, the television news showed the normally intransigent Andrzej Gwyajda, whom Fawenza had persuaded to make the announcement, fearing for his own popularity and reputation, declaring that the strike had been suspended. Fawenza stated that the Union had got all it could and he was, quote, 70% satisfied, end quote. However, what became known as the Warsaw Agreement had not won the Biedogosz demands. The farmers had not won the right to form a legal union. The clauses on political prisoners and strike pay were not specific. This moment, the collapse of will and resolve, at a point when the working class was unified and determined and their state and party enemies were in disarray, was the key event on the road to the military coup which came in December. Opinion polls taken in the run-up to the strike suggested massive support for it, Timothy Gartenash quotes a poll taken in the petrochemical-producing town of Prok, which showed 79% for the general strike. Lech came under intense criticism from voices inside the movement. Telex messages came in, many of which, especially from the best-organised areas, were angry and disappointed. Solidarność's KKP met the next afternoon inside the Lenin-Yard Gdansk. There were two issues debated. Was Forwensa right to call the strike off for what was clear to many members was a poor and vague agreement? Was the decision taken in an acceptable democratic way? Many members were more concerned about the way Forwensa had behaved than the decision to call the strike off and much criticism was directed at Forwensa's clique of advisers. The debates were angry and emotion-filled Eventually the meeting, which spilled over two days, ended having voted by 25 to 4 votes with six abstentions to confirm Fawenza's decision to call off the strike. At that point it would have been difficult to reinstate the strike. However, Andrzej Chalinski, a sociologist whom Fawenza relied on for organisational matters, was removed from his post as KKP secretary by a vote of 17-13 to 13 in a blow against Fawenza. A message was sent to the meeting by Jan Rilewski, still hospitalised after the Bydgoszcz attack, denouncing the Warsaw Agreement as a sellout. out Roman, Roman Bartoszczy, the son of one of the men beaten at Bydgoszcz, complained that little had been achieved to win the farmer's demands. Carol Modzelewski, co-author with Lech Kuron of the open letter to the party and now reactivated and in the role of Solidarność's press officer, resigned. Modzelewski stated, quote, "From the point of view of union democracy, it is intolerable to allow advisers to manipulate the situation. The final document prepared by two advisers and I don't know who from the government side" was presented like a bombshell to the unprepared negotiators this is a terribly dangerous situation Modzelewski went further discussing Foenza's role quote, there is a king and a court around him and there is also a parliament the king governs with his court and not the parliament why do i think this mechanism is a dangerous threat to the union because it will develop rapidly any attempt at criticism will be considered a scheme, a plot. End quote. A few days after the meeting, Andrzej Kriajda, echoing Modzelewski, published an open letter to Fowenza It was our fault, Lep that union democracy was broken. I know we can both think of thousands of reasons why it happened, but I also know that internal democracy within the union is a necessity. The condition in which it flourishes is full openness and a multi-directional flow of information. Its funeral is when criticism is crushed and union periodicals are censored. Each member of our union should have a right to criticise even after a decision has been taken by the union. Decisive influence is transferred to clerks and advisers who, uncontrolled and without responsibility, Have full freedom of manipulation. Faenza replied. You've written an open letter to me in which you remind me of our common struggle, free trade unions, the August strike, and Solidarność. I don't need to be reminded. I remember it well. I want the same now as then. That Poland will be Poland. Of course, opinion can change quickly. And in the days after the strike was called off, opinion polls showed a big majority of workers were now in favour of the decision to call the strike off. The mood of working class self-confidence and militancy had been damaged, undercut and wasted. Workers now remembered not their strength and solidarity, but how concerned and even frightened they had been. On May 12th, Vyacheska Solidarność received legal sanction from the courts and gave the farmers the same rights for their union as industrial workers had won. Solidarność The party's ninth congress The leaders of various Eastern European communist states were clearly concerned that Kania might lose control at the party congress. Czechoslovakian General Secretary Gustav Husak even publicly suggested the conference should be postponed. Just before the Congress, Soviet Foreign Minister Andrei Gromyko arrived. Seemingly satisfied, the Soviets did not object to the Congress proceeding. The pre-Congress elections in local and provincial party organisations had seen a 50% turnover in personnel. Most of the 1,964 delegates were between 35 and 45. 20% were workers. Only forty-three of the outgoing one hundred and forty-two full Central Committee members were elected as delegates. About twenty percent were Solidarnosc members. The Turun Horizontal Opposition was a very marginal force at the Congress which met from fourteenth to the twentieth of July. The basic debate was between Kania and those pressing for a harder line against Solidarnosc. Girek and several of his supporters were expelled from the party, blamed for creating the current crisis. Of the 200 newly elected Central Committee members, only 16 had been full members of the previous Central Committee. Of the two hundred, forty-one were members of Solidarność. Kanya was elected First Secretary with 1,311 votes, and in his new Politburo, Only three of the 15 elected at the previous Congress were re-elected. Politically, the Congress decided to continue trying to muddle through, shifting slightly towards a more hard-line position. Commitment to Kanya's cautious line of agreements with the workers' movement was to continue, but the party was now opposed to making new concessions.